Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, your guide to everything love, sex, intimacy, and relationships. Each week, your host, Zach Beach, interviews new experts on love, including couples therapists, relationship coaches, sex educators, and best-selling authors. Learn the best tips and cutting-edge wisdom to better love yourself, others, and the world. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, everyone, and welcome to our 50th anniversary special. Thank you all so much for being on this journey with us. It has been a wonderful and educational year. I hope you have all enjoyed all of our guests from coaches to counselors to therapists, educators, and more. I wanted to do something very special for this 50th episode to celebrate one year of learning to love. And I decided that for this anniversary episode, I'll be interviewing my own parents. That's right. I have here with me Charles Beach and Michelle Beach. This year, they will be celebrating their 40-year anniversary, and we'll be talking about how to create a lasting marriage and a loving family. Hello, Mom. Hi, Dad. Welcome to the show. Hi, Zach. Hello, Zach. And for those that don't know, Michelle Beach is a lifelong educator. On her path to becoming a teacher, she was the first person in her family to attend and graduate from college. Over the span of her 40-plus year career, she taught students ages 3 to 21, as well as university students, graduate students, students with visual impairments and multiple disabilities. She also served as school principal and also a director of special programs in the same school district. Over that same period of time, Michelle, or my mom, focused on the most important aspect of her life, her family, or as I would say, our family. As she wrote, her family has always been a source of joy, strength, and inspiration. She wrote that. I didn't tell her to. (laughs) And over here, we have Charles Beach, also known as Chuck, or as I call him, Dad. And Chuck Beach is a graduate of Northern Illinois University, and he pursued a career in computers, working in aerospace and defense, as well as engaging in a startup. He has taught classes on information systems at Rockford University. He has been on the board of the local Red Cross chapter and the board of a local homeless shelter. As the biggest fan of his own children, he has shared the journey as a soccer coach, chess coach, robotics coach, and high school game announcer. So how are we doing today? It's great. It's a beautiful sunny day here. Enjoying our time with you. Dad, how you doing? I'm doing just terrific. <laughs> All right. So this year you are celebrating your 40-year anniversary, four decades. That's 40 years of marriage. And from my outsider or insider's view, you could say it seems like a very happy marriage. So first off, congratulations. Thank you. And secondly, I think our listeners might want to know what's the secret. Well, first of all, I don't think we're all that wise or that we have a secret, but we did make some decisions early on, and I think we've learned a few things over the years that have helped us have a long and strong marriage. And I think that the first thing that has been very important or the foundation, you might say, of our marriage is that we do share the same core values. Now, that being said, we are very, very different people. I'm more emotional. Chuck is more logical. 
I like reading and theater and books. He likes uh, science and things like that. And in fact, many of our friends said that we would never make it. (laughs) (laughs) Now, 40 years later, we're proving them wrong. But the things that are important to us, honesty, compassion, kindness, frugality, we are totally in sync on those issues. So that has been key. Another thing that I think has led to a long and successful marriage is what I'm going to refer to as serendipity. And that is we have both been open to changes that have come along. Neither one of us are where we expected to be when we first got married. We had uh, definite plans. But as things happen, as you have children or as you move or as you change jobs, we have both been there embracing that new challenge and trying to enjoy it and ride it for all it's worth, so to speak. Hmm. And then the last thing that I think has been important is that both of us are very grateful that we found one another. We've known a lot of marriages that have not been successful. Divorce kind of ran rampant in my extended family. And every day I thank the fact that I met him and that he is still a part of my life. Hmm. That's sweet. Core values is definitely something that has come up a lot in the podcast and how important it is to have those settled and discussed on early on. What do you think, Dad? What's your secret to 40 years of marriage? Well, that's a tough, that was a tough one to follow, but that was very well spoken, Michelle. Um, So one of the things is about Kunin marriage is simply the commitment that the marriage will be successful and that you will endure the good times and, and the bad times. I also believe one of my personal philosophy I embrace is to make choices to be the best person you can in this in the situations is to say you we can't all decide to be tallest or the smartest or the fastest but you can make decisions about being the most honest being and being a person of a good character and that does apply to the marriage when we decided that we were going to have a successful marriage I decided how can I be the absolute best spouse I can I want to be married to a to a husband Married to a woman whose husband is a character I can I can admire. And that's something I think about. That's really awesome. So it was really awesome to hear about the shared values that you had for commitment, for honesty, being open to change, being open to growth, and that things might not go exactly the way that you thought they would go. And I think that's where a lot of people sort of get tripped up in their marriages is they do have the fairy tale dream that things will be perfect all the time. They think that the incredible feelings of ecstasy of being in love in the first year and a half is going to last forever. And life doesn't always work that way. So 40 years is a very long time. Would you say that there have been some good times and bad times and how would you recommend people go and weather the bad times or challenging times well we were talking about that one of the things we're we're lucky is that we never had any catastrophic times never had any huge major problems that other people would deal with like the loss of a family or fire or something something like that and so we consider ourselves very very lucky as Michelle mentioned, is kind of going with the, the flow, going with the, where serendipity is, is, is taking you. I think that's, that's, that's very important. Another thing, too, I notice is, is the way people can argue. Uh, for instance, a lot of people argue with the idea of winning and getting, getting heard, and I think I've heard that in your podcast. 
I always take the philosophy is if someone has difference of opinion with you, well, how can you find ways to resolve it? How can you come to a resolution, a resolution that protects the ego of both parties? So it's not winning is not the all important thing. It's strengthening your your relationship is the important thing. Do you agree, Mom? That uh, or do you have differing opinion that you want to prove that you're right on? No, <laughs> <laughs> no, I I definitely agree, and I'm actually going to circle back to what Chuck said earlier about making a commitment. Mm-hmm. And we decided early on that we were going to be committed to one another. And I think everyone who gets married probably thinks the same thing. But for us, we took that commitment very seriously. And what happens when you make a commitment is you're freed up from worrying that the other person is going to leave or the other person is going to decide that they don't want to be married anymore, which means that you can make a mistake and not worry that it's going to threaten the relationship. You could even do something maybe terrible and not worry that it's going to ruin the relationship, knowing that you're going to be able to work through things, as Chuck just said, gives you a safe place to work Mm. through your own issues and change as a person. And it's almost like a cycle that the commitment gives you the safety, which makes you feel more committed, which makes you feel more loved, and it, it just grows and builds, and we have a richer relationship today than we did. Even though we were in love, the relationship is richer today than it was at the outset. Hmm. That commitment is very important in terms of learning the best ways to get along with your spouse. Like, I'll tell you right now, I have a very low EQ rating, <laughs> i.e. The, the idea to read, a, to read emotion, and your mother who has... A bit of a more emotional state. She very much relies on that. So very early on, she realized if she says, you're not going out in that shirt, are you? I might say, well, isn't it sort of obvious? I have it on and I'm heading out the door. (laughs) (laughs) I've missed the hidden message. Mm. So since none of this is natural to both of us, we had to kind of learn how each other speak and, and, and communicate. I mean, you mentioned earlier that people thought you were not going to make it because That's you true. were so different. And what I'm hearing now is actually probably feel like the differences complemented each other quite well. Absolutely. I 100% agree with that. And it leads us to not only have shared interests, but different interests that make each of us a unique individual that we bring that to the marriage. Ditto. You know. well said michelle (laughs) you know some are more verbose than others and some (laughs) more brief than others and there's different times you want that level of communication so we have a lot of younger listeners on the podcast a lot of people probably in 40 50 year marriages don't feel that they need to listen to a podcast about loving they already have it so what is your advice to the younger couples the newer couples people who just got married to make sure that their marriage lasts as long as yours does well i'm going to step back even to before the relationship becomes solid and give them the advice that i gave my own children and that is find someone who inspires you to be a better person. And that is definitely Chuck. 
Chuck is one of the kindest people I've ever known, the most compassionate. He's always trying to reach out and help someone else. He is one of the smartest people I know, and that is not just innate intelligence, but he has an intense curiosity to learn more. I've never had anyone else turn to me and say, so what do you think about that fox breeding in Russia? (laughs) So every day he's got something new to share with me. And again, I, you know, I feel that that has helps us grow in our relationship. I never did get an answer to that fox breeding question, by the way. (laughs) I'll be sure to add fox breeding in Russia into the show notes. Okay. Very good. (laughs) Dad, what's your advice to young Um, couples? Well, well, number, number one, we talked about that, that, that commitment to make your union strong and resilient is the absolute number, number, number one. Mm. And two, and this kind of relates back to being, making choices to be the best person you can be. And that's a matter of choice also. Choose to always celebrate just getting together. That's something that we had very, very early on, that when you come home at night, it's it's like, Michelle, you're home, or Chuck, you're home. And that's just kind of a good way to start greeting each other. When it gets to the point where they say, oh, you're home, <laughs> you know, your marriage is in trouble. Mm. <laughs> Number two, you know, choose to try to be understanding. So seek ways of learning to be understanding. Choose to be forgiving. Choose to be totally supportive. Choose to be your partner's sexual fantasy. Choose to embody the qualities of being a good partner. Wow, that's in tall order. Any pressure? <laughs> <laughs> Growth is a good thing. Growth is what life is all about. And every single day, if you grow a little bit, the journey becomes that much more interesting. Yeah, I'm hearing this desire to basically improve the three things that make a relationship. Commitment to each other, commitment to being the best person you can be, and then commitment to helping the other person be the best person that they can be. And I'm going to bring serendipity back into that a little bit. In terms of forging mutual interests, I think that we have both tried to be open to whatever might come along our way. Uh, We've been to Comic-Con. We've been to a Pez convention. We have taken a cheesemaking class together. We've taken ballroom dancing. Now, I'm not a cheesemaker, nor do we go ballroom (laughs) dancing. But we've been open to exploring new things and growing as a couple. So we have our old faithfuls like traveling and hiking and eating out, but we also try new things whenever we can. So I really am inspired by your emphasis on commitment, committing to each other, committing to growing together. And I do think that's a crucial piece of long-term relationships, staying together is committing to each other. And I'm wondering what your advice is for, say, the newlyweds or the people into the year three, four, five, six of marriage who feel that they are with the wrong person and things are tough and that it would probably be easier if they just broke up and got divorced. Well, it, it's, it's sort of interesting is breaking up is our, always an option. But if you think about your investment in the relationship, do you really want to break up or do you want to further invest in that? One of the myths, I think, in marriage is that it's a 50-50 relationship. I actually think that you, as a member of that communion, is that you should be prepared to go to 100% if necessary, and your partner should be able to go 100% if necessary. Because sometimes we're not always as, as strong as our, as, our, as our partner. 
And I think if you're willing to step up and says, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and fill a need here that my part- partner can't, I think it will help make for a stronger union. So it's amazing because I'm hearing from you a lot of the things we've already talked about on the podcast from the scientists and therapists and the researchers who have found out like what makes a couple work and what doesn't. And I'm hearing like one growth mindset. And dad, I like what you just said about being happy and celebrating each other when you come home because it does remind me one of our guests says you should be like the puppy that's happy to see the partner when they when they come home and you stop whatever you're doing, give them a big hug. You can say something. I was going to say that I wish you had your podcast like 40 years ago <laughs> because I felt we had to learn a lot of this stuff. Now, listening to your podcast, listening to all this advice, yes, did a lot of head shaking. That makes sense. I also do a lot of uh, nodding in terms of, yeah, that's something I w- want to try. So I just want to thank you for getting this wisdom out there for, for all these couples out there that, that want to improve their relationship. Well, I think, you know, we might have the two biggest fans of my podcast right here because I know you guys love listening to it. And mom, I know you've listened to a lot of episodes and you've mentioned before just in, in conversation that you listen to an episode and you're like, oh, wow, we do that thing all the time already. So I'm wondering about like, what are some of the things you've heard on the podcast, some of the concepts that have been introduced that you were already doing? And so I was like, oh, that's that's nice. Well, the first thing I want to mention um, that we do that I've heard said in a lot of different ways on your podcast from different people is assume positive intent. Do not assume if your partner hurts you, he meant to hurt you. Okay, it's probably just a misunderstanding or a miscommunication because I know my partner would never intend to hurt me. So that I think just solves a lot of problems almost before they begin. Uh, The second thing that I've heard on your podcast that we have really learned through the school of hard knocks, and that is better ways to communicate. And as I mentioned earlier, we are very different people. We think about things differently. We can both hear the same comment in the grocery line or in a television show and come away with very different opinions about what that person was actually saying. So communication has been a struggle. And I also wish that I had had something like your podcast to help us along the way. But we've come to a much better way of communicating. And it has to do a lot with clarifying what the other person is talking about. I heard you say this. Is that what you meant to say? And the other person may say, no, not at all. (laughs) (laughs) And the other thing that has been a big key, and I have heard this on your podcast, is to let the other person know what you're expecting from the communication. If I say to him, I had a bad day at work, do I want advice? Do I want him to fix things? Do I want a shoulder to cry on or do I want a cheerleader in my corner? And by clarifying what I'm looking for out of a conversation, it has really just been a game changer. Yeah, to all the women out there, men are lousy mind readers. And to the men out there, women are lazy mind readers too. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing that I think we've learned is when we are in a conflict situation, We do not bring up past baggage. So we know that if we have had an argument and we have resolved it, 
that it's not going to come back to haunt us 5, 10, 15, 40 years later. We move on and we leave that behind us. We're in a new place now after any given conflict, and that allows us to go forward more strongly. It's interesting to say that you have very different perspectives and even now you can have a different interpretation because you don't you don't feel that after 40 years you've just merged into one one belief system. Fortunately or unfortunately, <laughs> not at all. So I'd love to shift from marriage to the family. So our listeners might not know that my I have two older sisters, so my parents are parents of three. Uh, I'm the youngest. And we've all, I feel like, been very successful in our own ways in following our hearts and doing what's passionate about as we navigate throughout life. And Dad, I want to start with you because I remember you telling me some point when I was a teenager that before you had kids, you and Mom had set the intention for the home to be a place of unconditional love, that you wanted people to come home and the world is a crazy place, to, but to walk through the front door and no matter what, that they would be, we'd be safe and accepted. And you might not remember these conversations, but I remember you telling me if I came out as gay or trans, that would be okay. I remember you told me that if I was drunk at a party and I was 15 or 16, that I could call you and no questions asked, you would pick me up and bring me home because my safety was what's most important. So I was just curious where this even came from. That's a really good question. We talk about shared values, and this is a situation of developing shared values. So I have to admit, as a young adult, I was not even sure I wanted kids. I had seen too many unhappy marriages and families, and I really wasn't sure that I had the, the ward cleaver in me to, to raise a happy happy family. But then I met Michelle. And Michelle always wanted kids, and she always talked in the most glowing terms of what a happy family could be with kids. And when she talked about it, I could buy into that vision where the parents fostered and encouraged loved, and they they became what you wanted the family to be. So I bought in completely in the vision, and quite frankly, up until the time we got married and after we got married, we kept building in that vision when we have kids, why don't we do this? And let's have this value, et cetera. It was kind of like, like a mission, if you will. And we really, really liked it. We looked forward to welcoming new beachlings into this family. So we did work out some guidelines. And number one was absolutely right, that the home would be a sanctuary against the cold, cool world. And we talked before about when we said we'd welcome some of them that came in the door, that absolutely extended to the kids. They came in. It was this time of mini celebration. Yay, Zach, Zach's home. <laughs> We're at home. And it wasn't just an act. It was actually a genuine feeling. So number two, we instituted something called the stop rule. So in any family, there can be teasing. The question for a parent is how to stop it when it goes too far. And how do you know when it's going too far? Well, the one that really knows it is the kids themselves. So the stop rule was... If someone is doing something you don't like, you get the right to say stop. And the rule is that other person must stop whatever negative behavior they're doing. No excuses, no justifications, just stop. And we as parents would only get involved if the rule was not being observed. And the kids fully embraced and honored the stop rule. Today they even tell us, Zach, you may give you a comment on that. But for the kids, it was very empowering for them as individuals to control their life. So I've 
had a lot of teasing and torment when I was growing up. And I said, man, I wish we had a stop rule back then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that would have been really nice. What's your opinion on the stop rule? I'm a big fan of the stop rule. I think it's really useful to have. And, you know, kids like to break rules, too. So I do remember it being enforced. Hey, your sister said stop. So that's when you absolutely need to stop. And sometimes it's teasing. Sometimes, you know, kids love to play and and roll around and stuff. And sometimes things get too rowdy. Then you can also just say stop. So I thought it worked wonderfully. Yeah. And I was interested. It was interesting how little we as parents needed to get involved to to reinforce that. You kids honor that. You recognize the value in yourself. So you, you practice to yourselves. And the third one was treat our kids as individuals not some expectation of what you think they should be. They, they have their own aspirations and interests, and the, the value, the decision was, we're going to enjoy the adventure in following our kids' interests. And it's been very exciting, because each of our kids has had diff- different interests, and every time they go off on a different path, whether it's soccer or chess or whatever, we embrace following it and want to see where it was, what was going. Really liked it. So... It's really interesting that you treating the kids as individuals and allowing them to become their own person. And growing up, I felt that that was that us coming, becoming the person that we were supposed to be was very much encouraged. And I think it was very different than kind of like the helicopter parents or the what's sometimes called like the tiger mom parents or the parents who say, like, you have to be a doctor, you have to be a lawyer, you have to go to this school. And you can see like the logic behind both sides of the equation is that, you know, adults know better so that they know, um, know more about the world and what it takes to navigate it. And kids want to like eat candy and, and be in play. They don't want to like sit down for schoolwork. So I'm curious if you could tell us more, and this can be either one of you, if you could tell more about how you balance the discipline of raising a child in the right way, knowing what's right and wrong while also allowing them to be fully themselves. Well, this comes down to what are the guardrails that you use in raising raising your kids. In other words, you give them a lot of latitude to be themselves, but you have some absolute things. You know, don't be cruel to other people. Be honest. Um, be generous. As long as the kids fall within those guardrails, they, they have a, an awful lot, a lot of latitude on that. So like going to college, for instance, my advice was, by all means, find something you're interested in. It was also said, and find something that's marketable, <laughs> number one. Number two, don't get a lot of college debt. There's a lot of good schools out there and cost they don't cost as nearly as much as these other ones. And so part of my advice is when you get out of college, you do not have a lot of college debt. I just wanted to say that, first of all, I don't think there is one right way to raise a child. Everyone's family is different and everyone has different priorities. But we personally had a few values that we wanted to instill in our children. We wanted them to be scrupulously honest. We wanted them to be kind and compassionate. And we wanted them to become the very best they could be. And frankly, I think we were pretty successful in that regard. So those were the non-negotiables that we taught to you. We modeled them for you. And we reinforced them in every way that we could. But in every other way, we wanted you to be the person that you were. In fact, we were surprised in having three children how different you were from one another from the minute you were born up through today. And we learned very quickly that you were individuals. 
that it wasn't a matter of us forming you into some sort of mini me or person that we wanted you to be. You had thoughts and ideas and curiosities that sent you in different directions from the outset. So as parents, we really just wanted to help you by stimulating thought and curiosity, by taking you places and doing things with you and encouraging any pursuit that you might have to help you find out what was ultimately what was the most important to you. I definitely feel that growing up, if I said, you know, I'm interested in this, even if it was out of the blue or something silly, you'd be like, all right, well, here's a book, you know, here's, <laughs> here's some resources. If you want to explore how to ride that unicycle, you know, here's something that we can help with. Here's some juggling torches. <laughs> um, so it's really awesome to hear the what you call the guardrails, what you call the values, basically instilling what matters most inside of all of us so that we can then pursue and have the freedom to pursue what we wanted in life. And I also feel like you're a bit bit too kind, you know, on us, because I know kids can be stupid. I know kids can make mistakes. I know, you know, Romeo and Juliet is not a love story. It's a it's a teenagers being ridiculous kind of story. So going back to what we we're talking about, unconditional love and acceptance is I'm wondering what were some other ways where behavior that you didn't want was was treated. Well, that's that's sort of interesting. You know, you're right. Unconditional love is have them knowing that someone always has your back. And uh, so part of that is yes, they they do screw up. Now, one thing with our kids, I sort of sort of found if they screw up, oftentimes we didn't have to tell them they screwed up. <laughs> they would tell us, "This I screwed up, and I'm I'm really sorry." So what's the point if person's already realized that? What's the point of lecturing them, making them feel bad if they already came to that that, that realization? So um, it was very easy to raise our kids because they knew what they were supposed to do and they did it. I think it's easier to find examples from when you were older because they might have been more serious examples. But even as young children, it was very effective for us to just explain the consequences of your actions. And sometimes those consequences might have simply been you hurt someone's feelings or you can't run out into the street because it's dangerous. Not much of a conversation needs to take place there. But I know there was one circumstance when our children were a little bit older where I talked about how trust had been broken and that trust is like a wall that you build up over time. And once you break that wall, it's going to continue to take time to rebuild that trust. And I think that that resonated with our kids because, indeed, our home was a sanctuary where we trusted, trusted one another. And so part of that being a sanctuary is there was never, ever any screaming at the kids. And part of my observation in life is that when a parent screams at their kids, the kids shuts down in fear. They're no longer listening. All they want to do is just get away, f away from the screaming. Do you ever remember us screaming at the kids ever, except in a soccer game? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't remember any screaming. I don't remember at either at children or you at each other. And I thought that was normal. <laughs> <laughs> it should be. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but then hearing about challenges other people had in their upbringing, I realized how lucky I was to experience that. And 
Where do you think that came from? Like that emotional awareness and regulation? It came from conversations about sanctuary, having a happy family, what it would take. Those were conscious choices to be made. And it certainly wasn't that no one ever got angry with one another. Okay, but there's a difference between anger that turns into screaming and violence and anger where you say to the person, I'm angry at what you did. And then listening to what the other person has to say about what they did. And again, it comes down to the communication. Maybe it was a mistake. Maybe they had no awareness of what your expectation might be. Mm-hmm. So I, there was a lot of just talking with the kids. And frankly, I agree with Chuck. You kids were active participants, even from a very young age, in wanting to be the best you could be. So it's interesting because, you know, there's a joke when you go into the therapist's office, they're like, so tell me about your mother. And they often <laughs> attribute <laughs> any problems in a person's life to their upbringing. So it's very interesting to me because I know that both of you yourselves had very challenging upbringings. And I also remember you telling or making clear that basically the buck stops here, so to speak, or you set a commitment at the very beginning to not repeat the same patterns that you saw when you were growing up, which I think is hopeful for a lot of people to know that their past doesn't define them. But I was wondering if you could tell our listeners more about what that what that looked like on your end those times when you're like, oh my gosh, I'm just sounding just like my mother. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we used to joke around um, when our children were young that when we had a parenting challenge, we would just think to ourselves, what would our parents have done? And we should do the exact opposite. (laughs) Now we said that in jest, but there is a certain amount of truth to that. And I think part of it was a sign of the times. We had a saying around our house that children should be seen and not heard. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't necessarily myself as a child feel like an active participant in my family. I felt like I needed to go off and do my own thing. And the family or my parents would go off and do their thing. And my brother would go off and do his thing. Whereas when we had children, I can't even imagine that. I was endlessly fascinated with your developmental growth and the things that you would bring home and say and do. And we wanted a very child-centric family, which is not to say that we didn't care about our relationship through childhood because we knew that a strong relationship led to a strong childhood. But we were also, as a couple, very child-centric. So, given that contrast part, so like in my childhood, I didn't always want to go home. I wasn't looking forward to going home. I'd take an opportunity to stay at my friend's house a bit longer, a relative's house a bit longer, or hike in the woods a bit longer, just to kind of avoid going home, knowing that there would be yelling and there would be teasing and there would be all this negative behavior that I really didn't want. So part of that, when Michelle helped me shape it, helped shape a vision that said, you know, a home doesn't have to be that way. We can choose to make this home however we want. That's the way the, the contrast com- comes in. So 40 years of marriage is an incredible accomplishment, and but there's that vow that says, till death do we part. Um, and, you know, life expectancy keeps going more, and I, don't, and, uh, I hope you guys live forever. Um, we'll see how well, it's good. So far, so good. Yeah. Uh, 
And so what's the future hold? So first of all, when you get to a certain age, you realize that there are things that are no longer on your bucket list, things that you may never do. I'm never going to go to med school. I'm probably never going to skydive. But I have a tremendous amount of places I want to go visit, both internationally and in this great United States that we live in. And I want to do that with my family, my children, my husband. Uh, we definitely have places that we want to go together and explore and have new experiences. And I want to watch my children continue to grow in their lives and my grandchildren in theirs and maybe my great-grandchildren in theirs. The serendipity part of this is the guiding line in life. Quite frankly, when I was a teenager, I said, I'm going to live on a commune in Oregon when I get I get older. I also had other dreams. None of those worked out. Better things worked out because I had a wonderful family and we embraced everything. So, you know, we're not exactly sure what's in the future, except the fact it's going to be new and different things and we're going to embrace where it goes. So, you know, the last and final question, I love to ask all of my guests. So I think we should do one at a time. So who would like to go first? I can go first. All right, Dad, what do you wish everyone knew about love? Well, I, I think I reflect the common theme here was try to choose your destiny and choose the, the, the best path. So I would suggest that everyone choose right now to bring love to your corner of the universe. Choose right now to bring your love to your corner of the universe. I love it. Mom, what do you wish everyone knew about love? What I wish everyone knew about love was that sometimes you might have to look for it. If you are in a relationship or if you have a family, you are expressing your love to those people day in and day out in every sort of way that you can. But you may or may not have a family and you may or may not have a relationship. But whether you do or don't, there are so many other places where you can express love and receive love, such as a good friendship, an act of kindness from an acquaintance or even a stranger. You can find love in appreciation in nature and the beauty of the world around us. I did not grow up in a very expressive household. And as a teacher, I distinctly remember the first time a student came up and hugged me and said, I love you, Mrs. Beach. And I was taken aback. I was not used to hearing anyone say that, except for my spouse. But I realized as she said that, that it was so easy and breathtaking for me to turn to her and say, I love you too, sweetie, because she was an amazing and unique individual. She was only six years old, but she had her own personality and style. And that was a place to find love for me. And I have come to look for it more and appreciate it more in the places that I found love. Oh. Well, thanks so much, Mom and Dad. This has been a simply wonderful conversation. I'm glad that we were finally able to have it. And normally I ask for social media or your websites, but they're doing their own work in the world. 
So if you want to learn more about me personally, the amazing human being that Chuck and uh, Michelle created, you can go to my website at sagbeach.com and learn more about the show at theheartcenter.com. Thanks again for listening to the Learn to Love podcast. To learn more about the show and your host, head over to ZachBeach.com or TheHeartCenter.com. You can also follow Zach on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 